Thank you for listening to this sermon from Goodwill Church, located in New York's Hudson Valley. Goodwill Church is on a mission to be a hub of revival in the Northeast and beyond. For more information about our church, please visit goodwillchurch.org. Now, here's the sermon. Tonight, we will be in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. Let us give our attention to the reading of God's Word. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion, and to live self-control upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good work. Declare these things, exhort, rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Let us pray. Lord, we are grateful for these words. And I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would get a hold of our hearts And Lord, transform us as we draw closer to you, as we encounter you, our God. We thank you, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. My parents, when they relocated from the island of Puerto Rico, We were living in the Bronx, and for the first five to six years of my life, the only thing I knew was Spanish. They didn't speak English. So my first day in school was difficult. It was actually painful. And... And for one reason or another, I was never able to catch up. And it was because everything that I was learning was brand new, and there was nobody at home to help, right? And, but it didn't mean that I didn't get in trouble if I didn't do well in school. Right? So there was always this tension. And what I found out early on is like, you know what, it's, if I don't do the work, I can do it later. I don't know what to study for if we're taking a test or a quiz, so I'll hope and pray that it's true and false, and hopefully I'll pick the right answer. You know, But eventually that would all 
catch up to me. And, and school was just something that I struggle with. Right? Now imagine, right, at 61 years of age that I would go back to school and recently to pursue my alcohol and drug counseling degree for New York State, right? And, and again, and, and today that work isn't and wasn't that difficult, right? But eventually, I have to study and sit for the New York State exam, right? And, and, and it's amazing that when you put yourself in certain situations, it's almost as if I was five years old again with the pressure. And, 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 and in other words, it doesn't even make logic, right? But those feelings, those emotions were as if I was back there. And one of the things that I would do, right, it's I would pray, right, and, and I would have what I would call a foxhole prayer, right? It's like, Lord, just let me pass, right? And, and even though at 61 I did all the work, I did all the studying, I, I, I felt prepared, as I was getting closer to the test date, I found myself feeling the same way. In other words, wanting to have these foxhole prayers, right, and, and also looking for some level of grace. Now, when I was in seminary, my um, Greek professor, he told us in the beginning, he said, if you study 15 minutes a day, whatever new material you learn, by the end, you'll be able to pass the exam. Right? So I always held on to that. Right? So as I was preparing for my New York State exam, right, I, I was studying an hour and a half a day. Right? It's like, if a little is good, more has to be better. Right? But, but eventually, when you study so much, it's almost as if it all overwhelms you. You know, and, and, and I remember, you know, I told my wife I had set up the time, the date to take the exam, and, and, and she says, well, did you let the church know? I said, absolutely not. I, I don't want the pressure, right, because everybody's going to be asking me, well, when's the test? How can we pray for you? And it's like, you know what, and if I fail, I, I, I couldn't handle that, right, and But when we look at Scripture, the hope that Scripture talks about is different than the hope that I grew up with. Biblical hope is so different than our regular hope. Right? Sometimes when we hope, it's like, God, I... I I hope I get that raise. God, I, I hope um, the girl says yes to me. 
God, I hope that there is no traffic. It's almost as if our hope is crossing our fingers. But biblical hope is not that. Biblical hope is the confidence, expectation, and desire for something good in the future based on God. You know, today we remember Jesus Christ's first coming as we light this Advent candle, the candle of hope. But it also points us to a future when he will come again. And from your point of view and my point of view, from a biblical standing, we should have confidence that that's going to happen. We shouldn't be sitting here with our fingers crossed, I hope he comes. Or in a foxhole prayer going, Lord, are you coming soon? But when you have hope, there's another element that you and I need, and that's grace. And for most of us, we have a working definition of grace as that unmerited favor. But it's also free, free from God. And there's a level of kindness that God pours out on you and me. It is mercy. And in other words, I don't deserve it. And as much as I don't deserve it, it is poured out for my behalf, on behalf of God. Now remember, this is all kind of of what I was looking at when I was preparing to take this exam, when I was sitting, I was hoping Lord, I I hope I studied enough. I hope I studied the right thing. Right? And and Lord, I I hope somebody has grace on me. But here's the thing, right? The test is computer-generated. How can a computer-generated test provide grace? Right? It can't. But that was my struggle as I prepared and as I went and took this exam, and I'll tell you how that ended in a little while. So this little book of Titus, it's a letter, it's a pastoral letter. It's part of Paul's instructions to these young pastors Timothy and Titus. They're instructions of how one is supposed to structure a church, how the church is supposed to function. Titus is on this little island of Crete. And there was just a lot of influences from the culture. And he was a young pastor. And he was trying to manage all these house churches. Right? And he would come to this portion of Scripture. The beginning of chapter 2 talks about how older men 
are supposed to live their lives and how the older men are supposed to help the younger men and how the older women are supposed to live their lives and how the older women are supposed to teach the younger women. And then there were the slaves within the community and how they were supposed to respond. Again, but that slavery is drastically different than what we know here in the United States. These were bond servants. It, it was a status within their culture. And just as he finishes instructing how the slaves are supposed to behave, he says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Right? And, and it's kind of odd the way he says it. For the grace of God appeared. It's almost as if at one time the grace of God was invisible, and all of a sudden, at one specific time, it became visible. It appeared. And again, and, and to read it is really to just be left with a question like, well, what's Paul really trying to say? And there's no better interpreter of Scripture than Scripture, right? And, and one of the things that we can go to is to 2 Timothy 1, the latter part of verse 8 and 9, right? And he says, God who saves us and calls us to a holy calling, not because of our work, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the age began. Think about that for a minute. The grace in which God gave us in Jesus is the very grace that calls us, Right? Not only does that grace cause us, that grace saves us. And he did it for his purpose, not our purpose. But this was secured in Jesus Christ before the age began. In other words, eternity's past. Before anything was done, before anything was created, before anything, before you were born. That grace was identified for you for work for you. That's pretty cool, right? So then we go back, right? For the grace of God has appeared. A grace that was secured for you before the age began. Eternity's past. And then he says, bringing salvation for all people. And the way that I would interpret that is offering salvation for all people. Our job as believers, my job as a pastor, is to offer salvation. To present it to you. To extend it to you. Your job as believers is to do the same out there in the world. That when people come in contact with you, they look at you and they go, there is something different about how you live life. Can I take you out for lunch? 
can I just talk with you? What are you doing that's so different? So this grace that has appeared is then offered for salvation. And then he would say, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion. Right? So we have a responsibility after we are saved, after we come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, we can no longer blame it on God for the things we do if they are out of line with God's will for your life and my life. You do what you do because you want to do them. But the Holy Spirit, once salvation has captured your heart, you and I are in training. And all of a sudden, we are to renounce ungodliness. Can't blame that on nobody else. We're supposed to say no for the, to the things of this world. Even though those things are bombarding us every single moment of our lives. As we try to celebrate Christmas, right, it's, it's all about the merchandise. It's all about what gifts we need to acquire so that somebody can have this blessed Christmas time, only to find out that two, three weeks later, the gift you gave, they're no longer interested in. And then he would tell us, this training, not only do we have the ability to renounce but then we are given the ability to practice self-control. Self-control, another word in the NIV or the King James is a sober mind. In other words, that you would have clarity. Upright. To live a righteous life before people. And to live a godly life in this present age. And when you look at that, right, it's like self-control is the way I relate to myself. Upright living is the way I relate to people. And godly living is how I relate to God. And every day that I'm living my life, I'm in training. For some of us, we're tired of training, right? We're, we're saying, Lord, it's, when are you going to be done doing whatever you need to do in my life? And here's my suggestion. You stop doing what you're doing, right? Because as believers, God already gave us everything we need. The Holy Spirit is dwelling in you 100%. You don't need nothing more. It's dwelling in you. It's not as if God dispenses 10% and says, let me see how you do with that. And if you do a little bit better, I'll give you a little bit more. No, today, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. So if you are struggling with something in your life, say no. And I'm not saying say the no like Nancy Reagan. That's not what I'm saying, right? 
I'm saying that when you are tempted, turn away. Because as much as you renounce the things of the world, sometimes we need to renounce the things that are attacking us. When I sat there for this test, his, the first thought that ran through my mind is, how can I cheat? Right? Here I am, almost 60 years later, 55 years later, and the first thought that comes to my mind is, how can I cheat on this electronic test? with cameras all over. I said, Lord, why, is, why am I still thinking that way? Capture that thought. And as we train, the other part that Titus would hear is that there's a waiting. Waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's talking about his second coming. We sit and we wait. It's the reason why we light that candle, to remember that he came once. Scripture says he's going to come again. Do you believe he's going to come again? Yeah. You better hold on to that hope, that confidence. Yeah, he's going to come. Why? Because Scripture said he's coming. Now, that blessed hope, the word blessed is mercurios in Greek, right? And it's this deep sense of God deep within you. It's translated to happy, but it's a happy that's deep within your core. It's so deep that even if you go through a difficult time, nothing can eliminate the hope you have in Christ. And here's what we need to know about his second coming. And this is just a short list, right? He came the first time to save the soul of men. He will come a second time to resurrect our bodies. He came the first time to save the individual. He will come a second time to save society. He came the first time to a crucifixion. He will come a second time to a coordination. He came the first time to a tree. He will come a second time to a throne. He came the first time in humility. He will come a second time in glory. He came a first time and was judged by men. He will come a second time to judge men. He came a first time and stood before Pilate. He will come a second time and Pilate will stand before him. And to that we should say amen. Right? Because he's not coming the same way. That's why he is our blessed hope. Because that's what we hold on to as we are training, as we are waiting. But here's the thing, right? There's nobody here that says, hey, I like training, let alone waiting. Like, I, I want the results now. And God goes, you do your part, I'll do my part. Well, I'm going the wrong way. And then he says, who gave himself for us to redeem us from lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, 
who are zealous for good work. So, so before time began, God already knew that he was going to give his life as a ransom for you. And that word redeem is to be bought back, to be purchased back. In other words, the person who's redeemed doesn't have the capacity to buy themselves back. Years ago, before I made a decision to become a pastor in my first career, I was a flooring salesman. And I would sell flooring to large contractors. And, and during that time is where they had um, reclaim wood. And I would sell reclaim flooring. And, and, and during one of those times of discovery, um, somebody was diving in Lake Michigan. And as they went deep within the lake, they discovered this whole bed of logs that were waterlogged when they were harvesting them up in Canada. Those logs were down there for over a hundred years, sitting in the cold water and the settlement of the bottom of the lake. So somebody had an idea, let's pull that out and see what this wood looks like. And all of a sudden, one tree was worth a couple thousands of dollars. And as they cut the log open, the settlement of the bottom of the lake bed just changed the color of the wood. Right? This wood became very valuable. They're still harvesting it today. That's how much wood is down there. But here's the thing. The wood had no way of telling people, we're here. Somebody had to find it. Somebody had to have the idea to pull it out, to reclaim it. And that is what your life and my life is like prior to Jesus Christ redeeming us. So while we are under training, while we are waiting for our blessed hope, we know that he gave himself up for us to redeem us, to purchase us. So that we would not be living lives of lawlessness. But as we are in training, we are being purified each and every day. We, who are being purified, are God's possessions. We're His. And as we are His, we're supposed to have this zealous zeal for this work. Because as you yourself was a recipient of the gospel, the good news, it becomes your job to offer the good news to those you come in contact with. It's not only the job of the pastor. Scripture says that it's our job to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We do this all together. And he will finish by saying, declare these things, exhort, 
rebuke with all authority. That's the authority of Jesus Christ. Let no one disregard you. In other words, let no one disrespect you. Let no one dismiss you. That when you walk into a situation, right, and people ask, well, what's so different? And you say, I am a believer in Jesus Christ, and he transformed my life. And all of a sudden they say, oh, you're one of them. You don't shrink back. You press in. I am one of them. Praise God. You want to be one of them? Right? But we're so concerned about being canceled. Right? Don't be concerned about being canceled. Because what you're offering is much better than whatever this world can provide, right? But know one thing, right, that the gift of salvation that you have was secured before time began. So the story, the story in which we are going to celebrate this Christmas story is a story that started long before. And that's a story that we can hope on. That's a story that we can say, God did this. God did this. So as I'm sitting there, taking this three and a half hour exam in this room, with other people taking other exams. It's halfway through the test, I kind of convinced myself, if I don't pass, that's okay, I'll just take it again, because nobody knows, other than my wife. Right? And, and as I came to the end of the test and, and I submitted the exam, right, I got the results instantly, poof. Right? It's like, right? but, but it was a sheet of information, and, and I really couldn't tell what the information was trying to convey to me. Right? And, and I'm just reading, 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 and all of a sudden, I saw it, right? Congratulations. <laughs> it's like, right? But here's what happened, right? I went to the classes. I got the information. I received the training. I studied. I waited. And even though I had all these feelings from the past, those feelings from the past didn't hijack me. Right? Because let me tell you, the feelings from the past were almost as powerful as if they were happening right there and then. It's almost as if I was experiencing a level of trauma that I never was able to like connect. Right? And I was like, Lord, what's happening? But I said, you know what, Lord? Whatever I'm feeling, I know I'm well prepared. I studied. Right? And if I don't pass, that's not a definition of who I am in you. just means i got to study some more, but at least I'll have some information about how the test is laid out. For many of us, we find ourselves 
in that kind of situation where we feel there's a test in front of us. And we think we have to perform or make believe to be somebody we're not. And God says, I will do my job as long as you do your job. But don't get it confused. God says, I will never do your job. So stop trying to do my job. Let me tell you, and every day that I submit my life to Christ, he shows me that just a little bit more. And I hope and pray that this Advent season for you would be that, that you will have this sure confidence of hope that he is God. He is the very God that Scripture says who he is and that he is going to come back, but until he comes back, you and I are in training. And we are called to renounce the things of this world and, and say no. And as we do that, we are also waiting waiting for our blessed hope. Amen? Would you pray with me as we prepare for communion? Lord, we are grateful. Grateful for all that you do for us and continue to do for us. And Lord, thank you for the gift of redeeming us even before the world began. Lord, bless us now. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to today's sermon. For more resources and information about Goodwill Church, visit goodwillchurch.org. God bless.